Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Hello and welcome to the Ski Podcast, because knowledge is powder. I am Jim Duncan, and live from Brighton, we've got Ian Martin. Morning, Ian. Hi there, Jim. How are you going? Yeah, very good. Um, we may have um, a few interruptions. It depends. I've got um, some foreign language students in my house, and they're quite noisy when they get up. But I'm trying to be especially nice to one of them, because she has got us um, a ski flat in the Pyrenees, Ooh, so I don't nice. want to upset her. Yeah. Um, coming up in today's show, uh, we're going to be talking about a new ski area in La Rosier. We're going to be chatting to a ski-specific estate agent, and we're going to be doing some book reviews, which I think is quite exciting. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can tweet us at The Ski Podcast, find us on Facebook, or email at theskipodcast at gmail.com. Also, we've got a website as well, haven't we? Yeah, I'm very excited about uh, our website. Uh, yeah, well, I've spent ages uh, sorting it out, but the, the skipodcast.com, uh, you know, have a look, and if you if you have a look on there, it has all of our um, episodes on there, and, uh, you know, if you enjoyed this one, go back and, and listen to some of the uh, others, because we've got some uh, great content on there, lots of uh, great interviews, and catch up with a whole lot, and then you'll, you'll uh, be educated and informed. Um, right now, um, outside, it's a, it's a massive heat wave in the UK. Ian, does that make you think more or less about skiing when it's really... Oh, definitely less. And talking to some of my clients who are selling uh, holidays, uh, that's typical of the public as well. You know, interest and volume of uh, calls has gone down. You know, you've got the World Cup going on. It's hot outside. People are definitely not really thinking about their skiing holidays. So the world what? <laughs> yeah, it's that thing going on, uh, football, England, England, all that stuff. Oh, right, OK. Not sure about that. OK. In fact, um, I, went to, I went to a Val d'Azere evening for a journalist this week and they uh, had the misfortune to organise it. It was on Tuesday when England were playing Colombia and they, uh, well, I don't know if they had to, but they put it on a screen showing the match. So you had these of you know various people from the resort who come over who I obviously spoke to but it's very hard not to let your eyes kind of just flicker towards the screen while the group of people who were definitely watching it the whole time were, were um you know, jumping up and down at, at different points and I suppose and then I actually I actually left before the end because I thought England were going to win and so presumably some of the people stayed there for all of extra time and penalties as well Interesting stuff. And I suppose um, most of the traditional skiing nations care less about this particular World Cup because none of them are in it anymore. Uh, well, France are still in it. And in fact, there's a Three Valleys event next week. And uh, if France win, they'll be playing in the semi-final of the World Cup at the same time as the Three Valleys party. So uh, I don't know if they'll be putting up a big screen as well. We'll, we'll find out. Skiing is very hard to think about when it's hot and there's lots of football going on. 
Smashing. Um, the other week, Ian, I had um, an email from a Mr. Ian Martin. I'm guessing it must have been you. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, complaining about the spelling of Val d'Azer that I'd put on our, our uh. new website, um, theskipodcast.com. <laughs> um, first of all, can I just say that in my defence, and this isn't a poor defence, I actually just cut and pasted it from the Husky website. So they're the people that spelt it wrong, but then I should have really checked someone else's cut and pasting. Right. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm definitely uh, a pedant in respect of uh, some things, but particularly spelling a ski resort. And, you know, it's just it's a small D. It's never a capital D before that apostrophe like in Val d'Azere and Altuez, uh, etc. Um, and, you know, it's just uh, it's like spelling Courcheval with an A-L at the end or um, many other resorts which are kind of doing a misspelling. It's probably easier to uh, to understand but gotta have that small d then the apostrophe i did once see someone had wrote um about um is it the um Aust- uh, american ski resort they wrote kicking whores in... <laughs> oh dear i'm not sure i should laugh about that but that's uh that's a bad that's one unfortunate yeah. I, do, time I, do, I, do, I do some work for um intersport and um uh, we're doing ski hire and you, you see a lot of different misspellings and Google is actually amazing um, in terms of how it can uh, uh, correct for misspellings. Uh, but um, I have uh, accumulated a load of them. And I think what I worked out is the, uh, the hardest resort to spell is probably Ishkel. Yeah, totally. You know, I really struggled to spell Ishkel. <laughs> but then I struggled to spell library as well. <laughs> the library in Ishkel is yeah. particularly challenging. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the library in Ischgl. Ischgl, Meyerhoff and Obergurgle. Um, yeah, Borovitz also. You wouldn't necessarily think that would be that difficult, but they were all the most, the most difficult ones to spell. What about um, Blue Knob in Pennsylvania? That's quite easy to spell. Yeah, I think I'd probably try and avoid that one. I just wanted to say it. Sorry. Uh, let's do some reviews. Ian, have we got any new reviews? Uh, yeah, uh, on iTunes, which is uh, the, the place I'm tracking, uh, we've got like ratings, which uh, we've got 21 ratings now, of whom 17 uh, say it gave us five stars, which is nice. But we have had a, another a review as well, and this is from Snow Only, uh, which, which rings a bell. And anyway, Snow Only has said, uh, nice to listen to someone uh, talking about the ski industry. Looking forward to hearing some meaty topics on global warming. Uh, make a note of that. Uh, investments, summer seasons, Europe versus America, etc. Is that the World Cup again? I'm not sure. Lots of discussion points. Uh, we'll make this a place to get my ski fix in the summer season. Well done and keep up the good work. Well, um, uh, thanks for that, Snow Only, but uh, don't forget you can get your ski fix uh, you know, in the winter season as well. We're all year round. Yeah, we have. Um, it has a nice review. And um, based on that review, I mean, I did get chatting to the guy from Snow Only. Um, oh, yeah. And he's going to be on the podcast later on. He um, runs uh, an estate agent um, specifically for ski. Although, rather interestingly, he's based in Phuket. So, um, <laughs> really? Okay. It's an interesting story to tell. Um, and even more interesting, um, we were born in the same hospital, me and, uh, me and Mark. You're not twins separated at birth Cain and Abel kind of story are you it could be I will ask my mum to make sure that that is not the case but genuinely I just want to say yeah, um, 
despite the fact he's going to be on the show later on. That was a genuine review before um, we invited him onto the show. And he has he's listened to every single episode from it started uh-huh. in the space that, of two weeks. Well, there you go. That's exactly what I was saying earlier. You know, uh, I, when I was putting together the website and going back over the uh, old uh, episode, uh, you know, there is loads of there's great interviews in there, great features, etc. I mean, I'm, you know, maybe I'm biased, but um, I would encourage people to go back and, and do give us reviews because it helps other people find us as well. Uh, I think now we're called the Ski Podcast. Slight rebranding. It makes it easier for people to find us as well. But uh, Easier for me podcast. to remember. <laughs> give, us, give us a review if you can. Summer skiing in Europe is pretty popular. Most people head to a glacier resort um, to go up on the mountain, like Teen, or um, over in uh, Zermatt. I myself will be going to Chauvigny to ski the Matterhorn Glacier in a few weeks' time. But this year, Val d'Isère made history. For the first time in 82 years, it opened some non-glacier runs. There was that much snow this winter that just normal runs were open all the way down to Ladai. Alex from 150 Days, the YouTube channel based in Courchevel, nipped across the valley to find out what it was like. Hi, this is Alex for 150 Days of Winter, and last Sunday, the 3rd of June, we went to Val d'Isère for the summer opening of the resort. I think it's the first time the Belvard area has been open in the summer. After a very early start in Courchevel, we got here at 6.30 because who really needs sleep anyway? We headed up the Funeval Funicular and was amazed by the amount of snow still covering the piece. I think when people look back over the 2017-18 season, it will definitely go down as the winter season for snow. There were three pieces open, a green, a blue and a red, all leading down to the Marmot's chairlift. The conditions of the piece were good, but could have done with some more grooming to help them hold up until midday. After four hours on the slopes, we called it a day and headed back to the three valleys. Was it worth the 28 euros for the lift pass? Definitely. If only for the spectacle of skiing at the start of June. We just have to wait a few more weeks for the Teen Glacier to open for the summer, which, judging by the view we got from Val d'Isère, should be absolutely amazing. If you would like to see what happened on opening day, Search 150 Days of Winter on YouTube and subscribe to be reminded of future videos. Yeah, well, I mentioned I went to a uh, Val d'Isère event, and it's got quite a few of the ski resorts, you know, do this. They, uh, they invite the press in the summer because in the autumn it gets really kind of busy with all the different messages. And so La Rosière have um, yeah, quite a big uh, announcement. So they had a press uh, event in London uh, recently and uh, I chatted to um, a bunch of people from the tourist office and recorded uh, this interview about the uh, new ski area that they're uh, opening up. Okay, I am in North London, somewhere in the King's Cross area, just walking up to uh, Regent's Canal and round the corner is a restaurant I've been invited to by La Rosière. They've invited a few journalists along to tell us all about uh, some changes for the resort this season. Um, I believe there's a new, completely new lift area opening up, so we'll find out a little bit more about that. Expansion, uh, 152 
Okay, so I'm, I'm here now with uh, Jeremy Silva, who's the director of the tourist office in La Rosière, and he's just going to give us a you know, bit of an idea of why we're here today. I mean, I've been to La Rosière three times myself before, had a brilliant time with my family. You know, it's a great ski area already, but you're making some changes this winter. What are the, the new changes in the, in the ski area? Hello, yeah, uh, we have a lot of change. We extend our, our ski area with uh, two new chairlifts and five new slots. And uh, we will find uh, a deeper ski and the hardest. It will be more technical. Okay. And uh, we can reach now uh, 2,080 meters for a new uh, top altitude. Okay. So um, La Rosia is, is uh, now for um, uh, beginner and easy ski, and now it will be uh, more uh, technical, so every every skier can be can enjoy. Okay. That, uh, well, area. you know, I'm, I'm a relatively advanced skier, and I actually enjoyed it when I was there um, regardless, but those new runs you're putting in then, did you say five new runs? So what colours are those five yeah. new runs? Uh, Reds. So they're all reds. Yeah, all reds. And uh, for for advance, we can uh, go off slopes on the north face. Yeah. Uh, go on Italia and uh, very very steep. Yeah. And, uh, it's north face of a lot of border. So if yeah. you need a if you want to have free ride, it will be perfect. Okay. So it, because it's north facing, it keeps its snow much better sure. than it would do otherwise. And I'm thinking um, you probably need to look at a piece map for this. But um, is this in the area kind of around by the, the cold uh, Petit Saint-Bernard? Is it coming down towards that? Uh, no, no. We stay on the French Way. And uh, for people who know La Rosia, it's uh, up to the fore. And uh, you have an amazing view on the Mont Blanc yeah. and, uh, and the Italian side, but we stay on the French side. Okay, I understand that. And the, the top point is going to be 2,800 metres. Yeah, and it's a new top point of the Espace San Bernardo, so all the ski area linked by Italia. Yeah, and that Espace San Bernardo, I mean, we actually thought it was great when we went there, being able to ski over the border and go into Italy as well and, and have a hot chocolate in Italy and then come back in the afternoon, you know, it was great fun. Um, but maybe the way uh, you know some of the lifts that you've put in—they're all new um, chairlifts. Are they are they fast lifts? Are they four-person, six-person chairs? Uh, or? Uh, two chairlifts with six-person and very fast, so it will be it will be perfect to enjoy uh, the run. And uh, we even if it's uh, on the French way. Uh, our customers will uh, will continue to go in Italia because in Italy because we can eat pasta and pizza and <laughs> Italian food and come back with um, whiskey. So it's uh, really really unique. Yeah, I mean I, I think it's great. I, I've worked in um, I worked in Zermatt and you could go over into uh, Chavinia and have a very different uh, ski. But the concept of being able to ski into two different countries is great and it is uh, as you say unique to the to the um, especially. San Bernard, San Bernardo is yeah. the actual uh, region. And how many kilometres of piste will that mean the region now has then? Um, we have uh, 160 kilometres of, of slopes. And uh, now with the first ski resort certified on uh, kilometres yeah. of ski, because uh, there is a polemic about that um, yeah. years ago. So we are the first ski resort in France certified with a good uh, kilometres. Yeah, this is to do with how 
piece and measured, isn't it? You know, they, I think someone did a survey and they established that the way some resorts are measuring their number of kilometres wasn't actually that accurate. So you have your uh, number of kilometres base certified. Yeah, certified by the Nelstern Agency. Yeah. Uh, to prove that uh, we are really have uh, 160 yeah. kilometres. And when will the new lifts open then? Sorry? When will the new lifts open? Uh, December. In December. So 15 December. Uh, every people who want to come are yeah. welcome to discover this new area. Okay. And when I when I went to La Rosière, I stayed in a in a chalet. There are quite a few British companies offering chalet holidays. But um, my understanding is that I think like last season, that Hyatt opened uh, a hotel in La Rosière. Is that right? Yeah, sure. They, they choose uh, La Rosia for open the first uh, new hotel in the Alps. It's the first Hyatt in the Alps, so yeah. we are proud of that. And uh, this, this December, there is a new four-star hotel we will open, Alp right. Arena, uh, on La Rosia. So we increase quality, but we don't change the spirit of the resort. Yeah. Of the resort with this family and uh, kindly, and uh, we don't want to, to change that and to become a big factory. We, we stay our, our little yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, I mean, it, it sounds very interesting and I look forward to hopefully getting out there and, and checking out myself. Because like I say, when I went to La Rosière, you know, I had a great time and I was mainly skiing with my family. But I also, you know, you skied around the place as well. And to have a little bit more vertical uh, in there and some more challenging runs should be great. So, um, yeah, I wish you all the best uh, with the development and see if we can get out there this winter. Um, merci bien. Merci. Um, have, have you ever been to uh, La Rosier, Jim? Um, I have been to La Rosier um, a few times um, just to visit. I've never actually skied there. And obviously I did um, two seasons in Lazark 2000. So I spent a huge amount of time um, staring at La Rosier from a distance. <laughs> it, looks right, nice. okay. it looks nice. In the, it looks nice in the dark. It's got but a nice you, shape you to it. you visited it but didn't ski there. How does that work? Um, uh, you know what it's like when you work for tour operators. Can you go and pick up this excess um, dishwasher tablet tub from this <laughs> other resort so you drive over there? Or okay. at the end of season, you know, um, can you go and take this yeah. heater? So you never actually well, I, get a chance to I, ski. I have skied places. there uh, three times with uh, with my family. In fact, our first three skiing holidays, you know, we're all to uh, La Rosière. So I think the kids were probably something like... Um, five six and seven maybe uh when we went there and it's a brilliant resort you know for kids to to learn to ski and personally i actually thought it was all right if you're an advanced uh, skier as well um but this new area is really going to make it much more appealing and i think for maybe you know some people who are thinking oh i'm going to go there and the kids are going to be fine but i'm going to be bored uh it will make it will make it much more interesting there's some you know new terrain being opened up there and a bit higher and it's north facing you know it's already it's, it's five five red runs that they say they're introducing isn't it which yeah, is good for I mean, the red runs for sure but it's for me that kind of free ride area that they're opening up that is the uh, the most interesting bit which is um almost an american concept really isn't it the free ride areas uh, yeah i mean i guess so it's certainly becoming more popular i mean they're they're aware that like all resorts that they've got a have uh, these these types of uh, features to you know make him you know guarantee the appeal across the board you can't uh, be too um secured in one particular niche otherwise you're just going to alienate people and adding you know four and five star uh, hotels you know seems to be a feature as well 
Well, it's billed as a, a huge um, family resort, and that's what it's always been sold at. So I think that's interesting. I am genuinely quite excited about it, Ian, because I know you know that um, this midlife crisis I'm going to, uh, we're probably going to move, we might move to the Alps. Oh, yeah. And we're, gonna, we're potentially going to move to Aosta, that right. area. Yeah. And we're looking at whereabouts we might like to live. Um, and you can actually buy a ski pass that covers every ski resort in the Aosta Valley area for around about a thousand euros per adult free for the children's under eight and la thuile which is the italian side of the the san bordino the rosier ski area is included as is le rosier so okay if if it's a case it would be a bigger newer ski area for me to um explore wow well that that would be really exciting uh and uh, you know aosta is a um, a lovely part of the world. I, I did um, work for the Oster Valley uh, for a little bit, so I've been to most of those resorts uh, at some point. And um, yeah, you'll uh, you'd love it. It'd be fantastic to uh, to be living there. We will do. Who gets to decide where a new ski area goes? Like, whose job is that? That's a pretty good job. I like that mountain. Let's stick a few lifts. Yeah, in. and well, it's very rare that it happens these days because yeah. um, environmental. Uh, um, reasons mean that they hardly ever open up new bits of the mountain Uh, you know they might replace lift uh, in the existing part of the mountain or maybe re-sculpt the mountain slightly but to actually open up a new area of the mountain is very hard to to get approved uh, these days so um, I I can't think of the last time off the top of my head uh, uh, no I can't think of anyone in the last 10 years I can't imagine yeah, I think maybe in in Austria when they linked up um, the uh, Alberg area to uh, Vath, it might be. But, okay. uh, but I'm sure I'm very well, I'm very happy for someone to tweet us and actually tell us what the facts are. <laughs> Save us doing the research. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, we yeah. are lazy. Right, we are now joined by Mark Lightfoot. He is the founder of Snow Only, a website that specialises in um, providing links to ski properties. So if you're looking for a ski property or looking to sell a ski property, um, then this is the place to have a look at. Um, welcome um, to the podcast. Thanks very much, Jim. Really appreciate it. I've listened um, to a lot of your podcasts and it's nice to be on board. Good stuff. Um so let's just um, start with some interesting stuff about skiing. How did you get into skiing yourself? It's obviously a passion of yours. Well, yeah, but late, late though. I didn't get into skiing until I was like 17, 18, which I think for most people is quite late. Um, we had kind of a lads trip, I guess, out to Verbier, 20 of us, uh, for a week's catered, ski chavalis, uh, catered skiing just above the Montfort pub. And I just fell in love with it. I absolutely loved it. And I just tried to get back as much as I could. So doing ski weekends in Breedleban and and package holidays, anything we could find over the next few years. And then fortunately, I was lucky enough to get made redundant. Um, Someone paid me to leave my job in London. And I... That is every skier's dream, right? That's what you do. Well, make me redundant. I'm just going skiing. You'll love this. My my friend, I, I rang up my friend the day I got, actually about five minutes after I got made redundant and said, I'm going traveling. But on the end of the traveling, I want to go and do a ski season. Do you fancy doing it? He rang me up 10 minutes later and he said, I've just quit my job. When are we going? So we, we literally, yeah, we literally um, found a sh- um, an apartment overlooking Mont Blanc in Chamonix, which was so cheap at the time. 
And we spent six months there and we didn't work one day. We skied every single day. And then I came back from that saying I didn't want to work in London anymore. I want, I want to work in the ski industry. And lucky enough, found a job in London for kind of a startup company selling um, ski holidays and, and was there for three years. And then just absolutely loved my time being in that industry. And I've always kind of wanted to get back to it. So you kind of left that industry, you've done um, some, you've been working as a real estate agent, is that correct? Yeah, I did. uh, After that, I moved to Asia, um, more locally Thailand. And um, it's good good skiing in Asia, I hear. Well, you'd you'd be surprised. I tried to look for it to start with when I got here and couldn't find one ski shop, unsurprisingly. Um, but, But recently, more recently, I've been skiing in Japan, which is just incredible. We've been there quite a few times now. Um, but yeah, was fortunate enough to find a job with um, CB Richard Ellis in Phuket. And um, I worked there for three years and then started my own brokerage in Phuket for seven years. So Snow and News, one of the things we're going to talk about right now is it's your website, it's your business, and it helps buyers and sellers um, offload or purchase ski properties. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this is, so basically on, a, on an island um, where you have like, for example, like ski resorts, you have kind of like tons and t- uh, kind of very select buyers, but loads and loads of sellers. So you always have just this massive surplus amount of stock. So then I started to speak to a lot of buyers that were coming through. And funny enough, a lot of them all own ski property. And one of the problems that they had was being able to sell it. They all loved it because it was a luxury purchase, but they couldn't sell it. So I started then to do the research and realized that a lot of agents have so much stock they can't actually sell. And I was kind of thinking, well, that kind of isn't fair for all the people that own the property. How do they get it out there instead of just having... A local agent to deal with they can't there isn't really anywhere to do it so i started again as i said started doing the research and and for kind of like ski resorts and phuket it all kind of came into one space and i thought there's there's really a need for kind of like a right move platform a kind of an efficient platform that we can list all ski properties on that that kind of works both for buyers and okay. sellers and, um... I genuinely see that there's a need because casually I kind of look at um, ski properties with the dream that one day we're, we're going to do that. And I, I can I see where your frustration has spawned from. It is quite difficult and they're not all in the same place. How close are you to getting all those properties in the same place? Oh, wow. I mean, I think we're a long way off. I'd love to say that we were very, very close, but we're definitely building. Look, our company is relatively new, so we still have to kind of get ourselves out there. But I mean, in a very, very short space of time that we've been doing it, we've got some, I, I don't think we've ever had negative feedback about what we're doing. We've doubled the amount of properties that we've had from when we started. But like the world's a big place. There's there's a lot of properties out there. So we're still doing marketing um, like we're coming on, on your podcast. We want people to kind of realize who we are and what we do. And we want to expand. It's expanding quickly. Um, but obviously, we need to get to a point where we do have a, a, a huge amount of stock on there to make it an efficient uh, efficient place for buying property. And this is, a, this is a global business, right? It's not just aimed at specifically British people and less specifically tyre kickers like myself. Well, look, that was the kind of thing that I was I was speaking a lot to my friends and they said, why don't you start with something local like, for example, Switzerland or just France or just Austria? And I just thought, what's the point? I was like, 
we, I might as well just be an estate agent. I might as well just go and set up a real estate agent and be a competitor with everyone else. But I didn't really want to do that. The, the, the mould that I wanted to do was make an efficient place for people to buy and sell ski properties. And I thought if I don't do it for the world, I just it didn't seem there was much point. And, and, and so if I, had, um, if I had a nice property that I wanted to um, get rid of or offload or whatever the, the correct term is, I mean, is it a good time to sell? Oh, them? there's always that kind of, I, I think that's quite interesting. There's always this myth that everyone comes along. This, this again happened in Phuket and I know for a fact it happens in ski resorts. There's always this myth that the market picks up in September, October. Now, I know that's the case in terms of people looking for ski properties because a lot of things obviously start then, the ski shows and all that kind of thing. But one of the things that people actually miss out is that every most of the chalets are booked, so you can't even get into them. So if I was if I'd booked a week catered ski chalet and I had a buyer looking around the chalet at the same time that I'd book, I'd be pretty annoyed. So actually what happens is a lot of the trades are done in between the seasons when you can actually get into the property and have a good look around them. So I think a lot of people get excited by the process during the season. And then once it's finished, then they come back in the summer and actually make the purchase. Do you sell a lot of properties that um, uh, that have contracts to exist in like tour operators or that are being rented out of chalets and stuff? Is that a, a thing that happens? Uh, yeah, I mean, people kind of sell businesses. We've just taken on a chalet really recently in Chatel um, that basically the guy um, is exactly that process. He's taken on loads of bookings for the season, um, but he wants to sell it. And, and those bookings are going to be retained in, in the purchase price. So people can take over kind of an existing business. So, yeah, I'm sure there's, I'm sure it's easy to sell if there was, I don't know, a, a contract with a, a, an operator already. I think that that kind of setup is even better for an investor because then they don't have to get involved. What's the best in way to go about selling a property? So, um, no, buying. That's what I want to know more about, buying. Because I'm, you know, I'm time with the idea of moving to Italy. I might go and live um, in the Aosta Valley. This is what, you know, this is our current dream that we're, we're talking about. You know, What's the process I should go through? Look, I think it, I think it's whilst I'm on here and have a little bit of a voice. I think it's very important to kind of um, to say that that we, we don't have the local knowledge. We are we are very much a find the buyer and pass them on to the seller. So we we don't get involved in the transactions. We are we are pretty much an advertising platform for ski properties. I think that's very important to kind of to get out there, but. In my experience for that stuff, it is, is you can't beat the local knowledge of the agents. They'll always have so much value. I mean, people that have lived there for 20 years. If you find your chalet, I think the perfect example would be find your property through snow only. Go and then speak to the local agent that is listing it and find out all the details about purchasing it. In my experience, the best person to speak to are uh, agents for local knowledge and lawyers for um, ownership structures. That would be my advice. Do you ever get people just um, coming along and just buying a, a property without even looking at it? Oh, yes. A hundred percent. Yeah, of course. It depends. You know, the thing is with ski properties are, uh, uh, you know, I always kind of say this. They're a luxury and not a necessity. And people buy luxuries regardless of how much people think that they cost. Um, it obviously is all dependent on your wealth. They buy these things on a whim because they want them. They're impulsive purchases. And, and yeah, for sure, people do that. As long as your imagery is good enough and you can pick up the phone and maybe they'll have a little bit of a chat on the phone. But yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Right, well, I think that's pretty much um, everything we need to cover. Thank you very much, Mark, for chatting to you. Oh, one thing. Um, sure. What resort shall I, what resort shall I finish, uh, visit next? Well, I've been to a few. You must have a good opinion. I mean, uh, to be fair, I mean, there's always there's always the 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 um, more common ones like Valdezere and always those kind of thing. But I mean, our recent experience in Japan has just been amazing. The, the snow there is just incredible, and, and in terms of obviously property purchases as well, I think it's it's um, it's really kind of flying up at the moment, really expanding. Um, lots lots of activity going on there still ski in ski out stuff that's available to purchase and and for example last year I don't don't quote me on this but I'm pretty sure last year they were in between something around 17 to 19 meters meters of powder and this is this is soft soft pillow you know fall over no no um, no breakages no pains everywhere it's a it's an amazing place to ski and they're expanding the ski areas everywhere so it's going to get bigger and bigger and better and better yeah and on that we shall go thank you very much mark thanks for your time and uh, best of luck and we'll chat to you in the future ian do you think there is a need for a ski only estate agent uh yeah i mean i i, I kind of believe that probably they uh, exist uh, already but I guess it depends exactly where your niche is. But yeah, why 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 not? If you've got someone who particularly understands uh, the the market, that's a thing, isn't it? You know, you can buy property in the Alps, and how do you have a, a, any idea at all where there's value? Uh, so and and the you know the technicalities well, the, of how you go about it, I, th- I think it makes sense. Well, he openly says that, you know, necessarily he can't deal with all the technicalities of every single location of every single thing. So he's puts them in touch with the agent. But the really interesting thing that I took away from that, and we mentioned it a few times in the interview, is that most people who buy a ski property are not buying it for an investment, not buying it for a business opportunity. They're literally buying it as a luxury item, as, you know, I might buy um, a nice bit of cheese or you might buy um you know buy yourself a a nice paraglider or something like that that is what most people are are buying um ski properties for it's just a luxury right interesting well i'm speaking as someone who actually happens to own uh, a one-bedroom apartment in chamonix and we definitely bought that as an investment you know it might be an investment that kind of you know appeals to us emotionally because you know we love chamonix uh but uh you know the the long term idea is that you know we're going to um that that money's going to you know give a return i mean we've hardly ever stayed in it it's normally rented out so i maybe it's a luxury item i, I don't know but um it's nice to kind of has a nice feeling that we have that connection well there you go mark if you are listening back to your own interview Ian's just proved everything we talked about for 10 minutes wrong <laughs> So if you do want any more information on buying and selling key properties or want to have a, a good old look around and see what's on offer, um, head over to snowonly.com for all the information that you need. Right, now we're going to do some book reviews. Ian, you ready for this? You excited? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Go on, hit me. Uh, I just like to point out, I'm not a professional book reviewer. Um, I just have a mild opinion about things, so I don't want any um, any nasty letters written to me about um, incorrect book reviews. But I have read all these books and I quite enjoyed it. It's weird in that um, the three books I've gone on and read have kind of resonated with me and sum up 
different parts of my life, which I find is strange. So okay. first up, I want to talk about Tracking the Wild Cumber. Um, it's a yep. book um, by Robert Cacuso. I checked how to pronounce his name as well. Um, it's a biography about Doug Coombs, um, his wife, uh, and the, the extreme sport of steep skiing, um, which I didn't know a huge amount about. I feel I've been educated a bit more. But what's more interesting about the book as well is that it's not just this biography as in a standard biography. It's also you know about the journey of the um, author. So we talk, he talks a lot about how he goes and follows what Doug Coombs has done. Um, he talks about how you know there's um, synergies between his life. Um, they both um, went to Jackson Hole and did ski resorts and he learned about Doug, this ultimate steep skiing hero who, you know, in, in many ways pioneered a lot of, you know, the, the sports outside of Europe. So he kind of follows the journey that Doug takes and gets to meet um, a lot of people um, that Doug knew and, and met and skied with. Um, spoiler alert, it's sadly Doug Coombs died. Um, uh, and a lot of the book is about finding out how he got to that point and following his life. So it's, um, it's about the narrator and his journey as well, in the same way if you read Moby Duck or Into the Wild, where it's the author slash journalist who kind of interwines their story with the, um, the actual story that they're trying to tell biographically. Yeah. I've seen I've, it. Seen, I've you... seen the movie Into the World. That's as close as I can get to that. Okay. Um, so it's a good book. I felt very inspired by it. I felt like I wanted to push myself. I mean, what it really taught me is that in no way am I anywhere close to pushing any boundaries in skiing. And maybe I wasted quite a bit of my ski seasons. That's, that's kind of what it taught me. Right. Well, I mean, you, can, you can't really compare yourself to one of the pioneers of extreme skiing, I don't think. Oh, I, I really wasn't trying to compare myself to that. I was comparing myself more to the author, you know, ah. who's, you know, he's found an interest, um, you know, he's developed in it. That's what I, I find about skiing. That a lot of people don't necessarily have a, a deep seated interest into it. And I know I didn't to start with, but now I'm suddenly developing an interest and I want to know more about this hobby that I seem to be mildly obsessed with. Well, uh, that's great. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we do the podcast, isn't it? You know, to explore the world of skiing in a bit more detail. Now, it sounds good. I, I looked up, um, I read a couple of re reviews when you brought up the title and I thought it sounded interesting. And I, and I knew that he lived in and ultimately died in uh, La Grave, uh, which is, you know, quite a uh, one of the most uh, challenging environments to ski in. And it looked like an interesting... Have you skied in La Grave? Ski there, yeah, a couple of times. Uh, is it scary? Uh, well, it's one of those places where you're with the guide and the guide will say, okay, this bit here, you mustn't fall. You have like a no-fall zone. And those no-fall zones, mm -hmm. obviously, if you do fall, then yeah, that's it. It's not like... Yeah, and that happens, unfortunately, in that uh, area. So, you know, I'd, I'd look out. So, I'd look, We'll be looking up uh, uh, that book, I think. I might put it on my list. You should do. Um, yeah, good. Right, next up, I'm going to talk about Skiing with Demons. Yes. Um, it's, um, have you read I this I haven't one read this. I looked at a couple of online reviews. Let's, let's hear what you think about it. So um, it's a book by a guy called Chris Tomlinson. It's um, autobiographical about um, a middle-aged man who opens a chalet in Morsey. Um, it's, uh, the backdrop to this story is um, his divorce that he ends up going through or the, the breaking up from his wife. Um, he talks a lot about struggling with alcohol, um, which essentially, you know, is part of the demons. 
um, as well as uh, the skiing demons that stop him from pushing himself further, like going down. He talks about the, the wall in Switzerland quite a lot, based obviously he's in the Port de Soleil, um, and how that challenges him. Um, he's, um, he, he's an ex-digital market, marketeer that he seems to really resent. I mean, I don't know why he would do that. It seems like a sensible job to me. Um, and so he left that life and he wanted to go and essentially become a, a ski bum and uh, rents a chalet in Morzine and sets about uh, running it for, I think this book covers a four-year period of his life, um, which I say he uh, struggles with alcohol and stuff. It's like, it's a book full of gripes of... Um, chalet hosts as you know what we would remember um but from mm. the, the the viewpoint of a very middle-aged man so it's and as you can imagine the, right. the, the same problems are still the same problems whether you're a 21 year old trying to run a chalet or a, a middle-aged man trying to run a chalet on your own yeah i mean i so so did you like it i did like it i mean it's, it was full of lots of like super seasonary ski cliches um but i liked it it was it was quite a nice read. but were they what about the way it was written were they literally cliches oh yeah it was it was jam-packed with cliches in there it was yeah. good but i mean you know so i didn't read it but i i read a review which uh, uh did say that it was you know full of you know sexist views about uh women particularly about their ability to ski oh yeah there is absolutely there's that in there um and I, I, you know, obviously, I don't agree with that, and I'm not trying to say that just because you brought it up. But um, I think you know that's who he is, and he's very open, which I think that kind of makes me made me buy into the book a bit more because he was very open about his opinion and his ability to ski and his ability to manage the property and all this sort of stuff. So it was kind of a it was yeah. a really personal okay. story. I felt and. Um, I, would, I wouldn't say it inspired me in the same way that um, Doug yeah. Coombs has inspired me. Um, but in some ways, I mean, I, 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 I did identify with certain... Yeah. I mean, you know, I haven't read it, so I, I can't really comment. I'm always slightly dubious. It's a self-published book, right? Vanity Publishing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm always a bit dubious about, you know, books like that. They tend to suggest that, uh, you know, it's someone who's decided they want to write a book, whether or not you know, uh, a publisher decides that it's actually going to be any good. But, you know, it's skiing. And, uh, you know, I've read a, a whole number of books by people who've done ski seasons and uh, they all have, you know, they all have something to say. There's a reason people want to write them. So, you know, maybe I should, I, I, to be honest with you, I've got quite a good collection of ski season books and this should be on it. So I'll probably try and track down one uh, on eBay. Okay, and our final book, um, which I know you've read, Ian, uh, and I think you yeah. even know the author, it is Sham by yeah. Jonathan Trigel. So yeah. this is um, uh, a tale of a guy called Itchy. He's about 30 years old. Uh, it tells the story of his season, a season in Sham. He's been there for quite a long time. He works in a bar. Um, I th there's, a, there's a theme coming here. Ian. Um, it looks at his battle with alcohol. Um, there's a... Uh, past demons that he has to deal with he looks at the, the death of um a friend while skiing as well isn't it and obviously there's a there's a rapist in a car park so i mean it's a upbeat tale of season air life yeah yeah i mean you know i know uh john Tregel, the author very well he used to work he used to be our event manager at natives uh just he was our 
first event manager, I think, when we started that. But I think the big difference between, well, I haven't read Skiing with Demons, but a lot of these uh, self-published books is that this was John's second novel. You know, his first novel uh, was a book called Boy A, um, which was, um, the rights for that were bought by Channel 4 and was made into a TV movie, which starred Andrew Garfield, who you probably know subsequently as uh, you know, Spider-Man and various other roles that he's been Oscar nominated for. And that book won a, you know, a number of prizes. So his, in his second novel, he, he picked up, carried on some of the dark themes from Boy A, which was loosely based around uh, the Jamie Bulger uh, kind of case. And so in Chamonix, you've got all that ski season uh, excitement. And I think John is brilliant at describing uh, some of the, 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 the excitement that you can get from, from skiing fresh snow. And he brings in that, that dark side of it uh, to, uh, as well with this kind of, you know, this rapist uh, uh, subplot that's going on. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, when we talk, when he talks about the skiing, it's so passionate. I mean, it it makes you want to be part of it. It makes me want to go to Chamonix more and explore. I loved, I loved all that part, and it was in such a contrast to. But it is so realistic of a season, especially if you like on your fifth or sixth season. You know, there is a sort of melancholy and that comes into being out there for a long time, especially if you're um, a, a transient seasoner. So you do the the um, uh, the whole summer, winter and then move away and come back for the summer. I, it kind of really captured that for me. And it's not to say that, it's, you know, you could read it and go, oh, season seems a bit seems a bit bleak, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, I just feel it, it captures that sort of um, sadness that you kind of feel towards after you've done quite a lot of seasons sometimes. Um, well, I think he. You and know, then I think uh, then it. And then you, there's a there's an option there. You either you either carry on doing seasons and maybe look to move out there and make a life, or you kind of slow it down and move away from it. Yeah. Well, John, you know, definitely has a, an intellectual uh, approach to it, and it's there in the title. You know, the title is an abbreviated version of Chamonix, but it's a sham. And that's one of the things he's uh, he's alluding to there that this uh, this whole um, concept that uh, you know being a ski season or doing a ski season is the uh, the kind of the height of um, idealistic uh, hedonism is all a bit of a sham you know behind it all there is this you know, alcoholism and this uh, this thin uh, veneer that separates you know that that side of things from the the dark side of things that's beneath. Yeah, I mean, I identify with a lot of it. I saw, I've seen it, and probably been involved in quite a lot of it when I was doing my season. So yeah, I, I did genuinely enjoy it. I like the fact that um, I learnt. Um, I mean, I'm not a big. I don't read a huge amount of um, uh, old school literature, but I'm going to read um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, right. which uh, yeah. came up um, yeah. in the book. I didn't realise that was set well, in Germany, so I'm going to read that. Uh, yeah, because that. you know when they when. It was a competition, wasn't it? Mary Shelley. They were staying on in a, somewhere on the Lake Geneva, and they uh, they had a bet about who could come up with the best horror story, and that's when she wrote it. And uh, obviously, they'd been to Chamonix during the course of that trip, and the, the monster goes to Chamonix, doesn't he? In Frankenstein, is that that that's the. the I don't know enough. I've read it. Don't spoil <laughs> okay. it for me. Yeah. Well, they have this, um, but within Sham itself. 
they it's kind of set against this uh, story that relates to the the Frankenstein uh, plot, doesn't it? There's a there's a kind of historical uh, um, parallel yes, story absolutely. going on with the modern day story. It's um, let's say that it is a lot more challenging and intellectual and um, uh, deeper than skiing with demons. And I'm sure the, the author, Chris Tomlinson, will not <laughs> mind me saying that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd highly recommend uh, Sham to anyone who's done a season, but even if you haven't done a season, you know, it's a good book. Smash it. If you've got any books at home that you want to recommend that we maybe read and uh, review, then do so. I'm keen to read some more. Um, my next ski book is... Um, a Bluffer's Guide to Skiing, which apparently has sold 5 million copies. And uh, I think it will okay. take, take me about five minutes to read. It's one of those okay, handy books. Right. I'm, I'm surprised uh, you haven't read that already. It's, uh, that's you know essential reading for anyone who needs to come up with new ways of, of talking about <laughs> um, I, I, it. What would be quite nice if in a future uh, a podcast... I could pick out uh, three books and we could uh, have a little discussion about them as well because there's, there's lots of them out there and as I said, I've got a bunch on my shelves. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll tell you what, you tell me the books and I will read them and then we can have a real discussion yeah. about it. I'm not okay. saying that this wasn't a real discussion. <laughs> because I, I missed out by not reading them beforehand. So this is like the Ski Podcast Book Club, yeah? Yeah, the Ski Podcast Book Club. Maybe we, yeah, we'll get Richard and Judy on to join yeah. in. Hold on, is, we'll this gonna, is this going to gain us listeners or, uh, or deter them? I'm not sure. Who knows? Uh, and then they can, the guests, they can read along. We can all be good fun. Right. Um, that is all we're going to talk about today. Thank you very much for listening. That was the Ski Podcast because knowledge is powder. It was presented by Jim Duncombe and Ian Martin. Uh, Jim takes some time to edit it. Ian looks after the website. It's a big collaborative team. Don't forget to share, like and follow us. You can find us on Twitter at the Ski Podcast. We're on Facebook as well. And you can email us at the Ski Podcast at gmail.com. Music was by Free of X.